Hey, welcome to Housewarming. I'm Sarah Burry. Housewarming is a podcast about climate solutions in Chicago, Illinois, and beyond. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Jen Walling, who is the executive director of the Illinois Environmental Council. She basically goes to lawmakers and lobbies for the environment and the people living in it. This episode was edited, as usual, for length and clarity, but we also had some technical issues, so you'll find some places where I had to paraphrase parts of the conversation. Let's get to it. I'm here with Jen Walling of the Illinois Environmental Council. Welcome to Housewarming, Jen. Thanks for having me. Super excited that you're here. I feel like the veto session is a super mysterious thing that people including myself, don't really have a lot of detail on. But first, do you want to tell us a little bit about IEC? Sure. The Illinois Environmental Council has been around since 1975, and we're an organization that is a coalition organization. So we have over 100 different environmental organizations that are member affiliates, but includes groups that are national, like the Sierra Club, or international, like Nature Conservancy, but also neighborhood organizations like Edgewater Environmental Coalition, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Um, All of those are members of IEC, and we work to talk to government elected officials and lobby on their at the state level, city of Chicago, and with our Illinois Congress people that represent uh, the federal government. Okay, and the topic areas covered are your typical air, water, things like that, but also... There seems to be an emphasis on environmental justice and public participation. Yeah, democracy is always a really important part of the work we do. We tend to divide the work that we do into six different issue areas. So clean water is one, transportation, energy, recycling and waste issues, food production systems, and open space. So those are kind of how we divide it. And we think about environmental justice in all of those areas. So environmental justice is sort of an overriding piece of the work that we do. But in all of that, in order to make sure that we can be heard, our power comes from people. So it comes from people in their districts, in different districts throughout the state who want a protected environment. Our power doesn't come from a lot of money or campaign contributions our power people talking to their lawmakers. And so we also work very heavily on democracy and we have a very strong allyship program, allyship uh, platform that means that we also stay very connected to issues of equity of all kinds, whether it's racial, disability, gender, all of that. So we, we tend to work on our allyship platform, but democracy is super important because we need to make sure that environmentalists are able to access this system, which it is mysterious and it's designed for the public not to access. Okay. And just to clarify, IEC is group-based, which means individuals cannot join, but you can join as part of group? We do have individual memberships in our state border, where we have an advocacy arm. And we do have individual memberships. And individual members do get to get our we get to weigh in on our annual meeting in December every year on what our priorities should be for the coming year. So they do do vote and they vote on our policy platform. So that's a little bit of um, 
you know, how you could enter as an individual member. We, we're not a necessarily individual volunteer organization, so if they want to volunteer, we probably connect them with one of our member groups, but we do have lobby days that we recruit hundreds and hundreds of volunteers for. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about the veto session. Can you just start with an overview of what that means exactly? Yeah, so veto session is typically a couple of weeks scheduled in October or November each year, depending on whether there's an election or not. And the veto session is supposed to be more dealing with things that have been vetoed or mandatorily vetoed by the governor over the summer. May 31st is supposed to be the date at which the legislature concludes its work, and then the governor may sign things for the next 90 days, basically, after May 31st. And then we have some weeks of veto session. Of course, it's supposed to be dealing with vetoes, but there definitely are items because the legislature is here anyway. There can be new items that come up for a moment, and it can be clarifications of other things. It can be completely new issues. It, it usually is not a large agenda. The important thing also to know that's a little more, a little more in the weeds, but I think, I think you all will get into this. In Illinois, if you pass a bill before May 31st, you and you want it to be effective in the calendar year, you just need a majority of votes. So for a session, if you want it to become effective in the calendar year, you need a super majority of votes. So you would go from 60 to 71 votes in the House, and from 30 to 36 in the Senate. So one thing that may be more appealing for new issues is that there also will be a late duck session that already is scheduled for January 4th through 10th. So that also may be a time period at which new pieces are considered because it will lower the vote threshold to have something effective immediately. Wait, can you explain that just one more time? Yeah, so lame duck session is scheduled January 4th through 10th, and there's a lower vote threshold for a bill to become law immediately. So it would, during veto session, you might see supermajority votes require reading. 36 instead of 30 votes, or 71 instead of 60 votes. And during the lame duck session, you would see that vote count be lower. So lame duck session may have some of the more interesting proposals. For example, if there's anything being done on guns or abortion or these large issues. And we do have a few issues that we're considering running the environment as well. But we don't quite know the agenda or schedule either for all of the weeks that will happen. We know our session is the week before and after Thanksgiving. What is the lame duck session exactly? When I asked Jen about the lame duck session, she explained that it happens after the election, but just before the new General Assembly is sworn in. Those legislators who lost their elections aren't going to be there later, so they're lame ducks. They may be more willing to take votes on something as compared to someone that they may be replaced by. So then I asked her if there was any advantage to introducing a bill during the veto session instead of the lame duck session, because it seems like everyone would want to do it during the lame duck session, considering that it takes fewer votes. It might be an issue of timing. So if you get something done more quickly, you're going to want to do it in November, December. But I do think that there are... Since there is a lame duck session schedule, we know it's happening, that there's going to be a lot of prioritization placed on that January time slot. But I do believe if there's anything that was vetoed or mandatorily vetoed, and I don't know, we did not have any bills vetoed this year. And so we 
one expects to be asking to override the videos. And I'm not sure quite the stand that is with the governor being a Democrat and both uh, chambers being democratically run. I don't know that we'll see a whole lot in terms of vetoes or mandatory vetoes that get overwritten, but that would happen during veto session. And there also might be pieces, for example, under the Illinois Constitution, the title of a bill needs to be read three days in a row. So technically, with a, you know, with a particular bill number, technically you need five days to get a bill through both chambers because you can do first, second, and third, and then you can do first of the second chamber on the same day as third reading, second, and third. So you technically need five days under the Illinois Constitution to get bill out. So there may be some prep work done in the next session where certain things are advanced. And I, you know, I said the title of the bill needs to be read. You don't need to have the full language available. You can pass a full bill in 24 hours if you have vehicle bills that have been going across this already. So that is something that may happen during Lame Duck as well as seeing the bills that may eventually become more important bills in the process. Okay, moving back to the veto session. So this is the opportunity to override vetoes? Yeah. Okay. So, so override, override or there's a lot of different votes that can be taken on a veto. You can vote to accept the veto. You can vote to override the veto or, or you can just ignore it and, and the bill is dead. Um, so there's three options that you can take on a vote. I always have to get it in my head of like, you know, you were voting yes to override or no to not override. So, or if you were, you do have to proactively vote to accept a veto as well. So if you, if something is vetoed, like, so if it's a mandatory veto, there's some changes you need to proactively vote to accept it. That's something that you want to do. If it's a full veto and you just choose not to do anything, it just remains a dead piece of legislation that needs to be done again. What would be the motivation for accepting a veto? Well, so you would accept an mandatory veto. So, so if there's a bill that's been mandatorily vetoed, you would vote to accept that. And a mandatory veto is just a few lines change. Okay. So if it's a total veto, you really only have two options. If it's a mandatory veto, you really have three. Okay. Has that happened to any environmental bills in recent history? Yeah, I've definitely done some work on different vetoes. Last year, we had a bill on PFAS incineration that received a total veto from the governor because there were, funny enough, I think some of the big companies didn't read the bill and they realized it impacted them after it had already passed unanimously from both chambers. And there were some companies that realized it impacted them and they were very upset about it. And so we had to, we did end up um, overriding that veto because um, it would have required uh, too much in terms of negotiation, but we negotiated it. We passed it again this year. So that was a veto that happened to us last year. She explained that it's not often that they do veto overrides. I do remember there was this really terrible plastic bag bill put together by manufacturers in maybe 2013. Um, and that bill would have preempted all communities in the state from doing plastic bag fees and taxes or bans and would have done this really kind of lame bag recycling program. And um, that bill got vetoed by the governor. And then uh, we did a lot of work on it. And there was this very young girl who collected like 100,000 petition signatures against it. And she got a lot of press on it. And we 
be able to really raise the, the profile of this bill. And um, the senator who was the sponsor of the bill tried to override the veto and lost resoundingly. So that bill, that bill failed in the Illinois Senate when he called it for a vote. I think it had like only 17 votes to override. Interesting that that bill passed in the first place. Yeah, it, it was a tough one. Veto session plus the lame duck session, this makes for a very long year for you all. Are there any veto session bills in particular that you're looking for this year? Yeah, so there are a few things with the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act and energy policy in general that we're going to be paying attention to. One bill that has been proposed that we're watching and it could be that we support is that in the Amaran territory, there have been really high rate increases because of just proposed capacity issues that have been throughout, throughout the area. And so there is a bill that potentially would give rebates to Amarin customers who have had high electricity bills. And so that one is cost $200 million. We just are going to be watching to make sure that it's not going to take money from the workforce programs in particular in the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. So we will definitely be watching that bill to see where it goes. So that's, also, that's a new one. Yeah, that would be a new bill that's proposed, but it's 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 already been proposed. So it is it is out there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been proposed and it could come up for a vote. Okay. So there's that one. And then... One other urgent issue that I know we need to deal with and that we'll, we're going to definitely consider will be having to deal with the county level bans on solar and wind. There are some very conservative Republican counties that are you know, local county board members that have been voting to ban solar and wind in their county. And, you know, often there's, there's municipal leaders that will approve a project and the county will go in and they, we're, not, we're not doing this. And so that is really frustrating for sure. So we are looking at a bill that would remove the ability of those local governments to do things like bans and just have more common sense moving forward of wind and solar projects. We had an email from a woman, for example, in Moultrie County, who literally had wind contracts signed for her farm and was very excited to got in that additional revenue that would allow the farm to continue to be a family farm for her son. And she, the um, county board then banned wind. So she, even she had these signed contracts, the project couldn't proceed. So we're hoping that we can see something fast that protects conservation standards for wind and solar, but doesn't, but doesn't give county boards the authority to make these really silly decisions. We, we want to preserve all of those things and make sure that we get some wind and wind and quickly. And then John explained that the reason that the Ameren customers have such high rates is because there is a capacity problem. And in order to alleviate that issue, we need to get as many solar and wind projects up and running as possible, as soon as possible. She also noted that there were plenty of wind and solar projects that could get up and running as long as they are not banned by the counties. When she had finished covering those two bills that she expected to see in the veto session, I asked her if she had any bills in mind for the lame duck session. Well, 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of proposals that we want to do in spring session, and we may, we may look for things to do. One regret, and I'm also not, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if this is going to be an ego session or a lame duck, but we are considering what we're going to do with the environmental justice air permitting bill that we spent a lot of time working on this year. This is House Bill 4093. It did get out of the Illinois House into the Senate, and it has really close to 30 sponsors in the Senate. So we have a lot of support for this bill. And this is a bill that for environmental justice areas, it defines environmental justice areas. It requires a look at cumulative impact of air permits. So if you want to put a new big air permit in an area, you have to you have to do a study of what is around first just to see if you would be making the air too dangerous to breathe. So those are, and there's a lot of communities that are undergoing that right now. And so we're looking at that right now, making decisions about whether there's even maybe a piece of that that we want to move forward. It's an interesting time because US EPA is putting in some new requirements for cumulative impact, and they're changing the EJ screen to be a little better. And so we are definitely going to be watching what's going on at US EPA, so that could affect the environmental justice bill that we might do at the state level. Yeah, two of the episodes for this podcast were about this, one with Gina Ramirez from the, the Southeast Coalition okay. to Ban Pet Coke, and then one with Elvejo. That sounds like a great bill. I am particularly interested in water, and there was a bill that that dealt with a plant that could have polluted um, Lake Michigan uh, that did not get passed in the last session. You don't see any any future for that in, in the VO session? Well, we had called that bill up again when we had two different bills that had to do with closed power plants. One was about power plant pollution and that specifically addressed, for example, the Hilco situation or there was a power plant in Wood River that um, they had a similar dust concern. And then there we did have a really important bill to remove coal ash from the Waukegan coal plant, which is an environmental justice community. And we believe that previous coal ash legislation that we passed would require that this coal ash be that the rulemaking is not proceeding in that way. And so we've been going back to the legislature to ask that be moved. We did not get enough votes when we called it. And I think there were some political challenges going on at the time, but I don't know that those are addressed. So I think that we're going to have to take a look at that bill and whether we need to narrow it. There's, there's several different coal piles that are moved. There's some legacy coal ash pollution. And so it could be we prioritize certain coal ash piles over others. You know, I think I think we'll need to figure out. I think we had 54 votes and there were 71 Democrats. So we need six people to change their vote. And what will get those six people to change their vote is the question that we have. And we're going to have to work on. Your memory is wild. Yeah, not just the the bill numbers, but also exactly what vote for exactly which bill. That's that's pretty amazing. I I don't remember bill numbers anymore because I have to forget them at the beginning. You know, every two years they recycle them, so you know we don't always remember that. <laughs> it's pretty good though. You recently did a presentation with IEC members about storytelling, and so I wanted mm-hmm. to sort of branch off of. of of that from the veto session and I guess now lame duck theme seems like veto session would be pretty intense 
it feels to me like that would be something that happens like quickly. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But can you think of a time where you were in the trenches with a veto session and things were flying around? Do you have a story for us? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think my most exciting veto session was just sort of the one that I shared about the plastic bag bill. I mean, that was, that was a veto veto. Yeah, but where were you? What were you doing? What, what was like the you moment know, to I'm me? actually thinking about another year that was incredibly exciting, a veto session that wasn't a veto. It was the year that we passed the Future Energy Jobs Act, which was the predecessor to the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. And that bill did pass during the veto session in uh, December of 2016. That was a rough one. It was one of Governor Rauner's last years. And we had worked to come up with a compromise and what was really interesting during that compromise is that we got to a point where we had agreed, especially with labor, and labor tends to be the big other party on this, of what we wanted to see in the final bill. And we were ready to go. And then it goes over to the governor's office about what he'd be willing to sign. He was in a position at that point to be able to veto things. Um, there wasn't quite a supermajority in both chambers to be able to uphold, to override any vetoes that he would have put on any bills. And so we had to have the governor's support. And the proposal was brought into the governor's office. And just without even really looking at what it did, he's just like, this is too expensive. The cost is too high. And so he removed a whole lot of energy efficiency programs that we now have because of an equitable job tech. He removed a bunch of energy efficiency programs, which extremely short-sighted because those are things that save consumers tons of money. People love those, but those were cut. And the other piece also related to energy efficiency that got cut is that the former governor was very close to the Manufacturers Association. And last minute, they had been asking for this whole time, basically the biggest industrial users in the state to not have to pay into the energy efficiency programs. And they got exactly what they wanted. We were kind of hoping if, if they did get it, it would be an opt-out. If you're over this size, you don't have to pay in. And there were a number of larger industrial users, like, for example, the city of Chicago, that were certain universities that met that large industrial user requirement and no longer could access the programs because they were taken out by this state legislation. So it was very short-sighted. We still haven't gotten that part back in, even though we have increased the energy efficiency program. And I, I do think that that was that was a, a rough you know, session, but I, I do remember it was it was some day in, in December that we were doing a lot of it. You know, a lot of times I bring students down to just see the work for the day. And sometimes students have like the most boring day ever. They sit and they watch the house floor, and there's just a whole bunch of resolutions, and like this is boring. But the particular day that we passed the Future Energy Jobs Act, I had this student in town. And that day, we had a really tense negotiation on a recycling bill that there was, like, screaming at. We passed the existing service line legislation that we passed during, you know, uh, back the next year. And then we also had the Future Energy Jobs Act passed that night. So that student was like, this is awesome. I love this career. And I'm just like, no, like, not, not every day. Not every day is like this. So... 
what does it actually look like from your perspective during a veto session? Like, do you get like a document that says here are the vetoes or are you there for the conversation? Is there any opportunity to explain or anything like that? Well, so I, I, it depends on, you know, what we're working on. There might be cases where I'm in with the final negotiators getting to the final parts of the bill. With energy, we usually have a team, and especially if you try Energy Jobs Act, we did have Juliana from Little Village Environmental Justice Organization in the room. So we usually have a team that's going forward, so that they might be reporting for us to us on what's going on inside, and then you know, whoever is the negotiator has to like convey that to us and what we need to do because you know sometimes we need to increase our power in the negotiating room by talking to a whole bunch of different legislators if we think it's not going well, or we might have to have conversations with leadership. So I might be running around on the ground just trying to talk to different lawmakers, trying to text different lawmakers, get all that stuff done. So it can be, you know, that part can be really interesting or it can be really boring. I think this year the veto session might be a little more, little, little boring, but Doc, I think it's going to be a little wild. So we've got to be ready no matter what. And I do worry a little bit that with the lame doc session, there may be more work we have to do over the holidays, December, which is my favorite time of year to take off. So, you know, I've, I know I've had that before. I talked about also in the Rotter administration, we passed the school testing for lead was passed in January of 2017. And that one, we ended up having to do a whole ton of negotiation between Christmas and New Year's. And... I was not happy about any of that because that is my precious time off. But we did get the bill passed and signed and supported by all the parties. And we got to do a MLK Day signing with the Rank Promotion Coalition. So that was, that was a, a fun and important bill that happened kind of not on a regular schedule. It's probably a lot harder to reach legislators during that time too, right? Yeah, definitely you don't want to vote people during the holidays. But on the other hand, like there can be lawmakers that, and, and there can be lawmakers that are like docs that are like, we are checked out, like we're, we're not, I'm not coming. You know, if you've lost your election and you don't want to show up, that can be a thing that happens. Yeah. But it also could be that, you know, you like might be a Republican that is no longer voting with your party anymore because you don't care. So there's all sorts of things that, all sorts of things that can happen. But I don't know. I mean, I just really appreciate that stuff is going to be more in person than now because the last several years of not having in-person lobbying have just been the worst ever because, you know, you have to rely on legislator phone calls. So really the well-connected lobbyists are the people who can't get in touch with legislators. And if I oppose a bill or that sort of thing, like nobody wants to call me back because they know why I'm calling. And then they can, you know, be in committee and be like, I didn't know she should post it. No, I tried to call you five times. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Anything is better than these last few years of the pandemic and trying to get lobbying work done. So, Well, you got a lot of done. Got a lot done. I went to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change in Cancun, and I was with the, like, the nonprofit coalition. And so... Yeah, I was a student, so I wasn't really as in the weeds as, you know, anyone who's actually working on the language. And, you know, these are these are like international environmental principles. Uh, 
so not quite the same as legislation, but they're they're trying to lock people into into specific language as well. And so just like watching the rapid fire evolution of the language that's being used, you know, like they were really excited about getting some public participation principle in things like that. So that's always what I imagine veto session to be like. Although I guess that might be any moment where a bill is about to be passed and there are last minute changes. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely differs with big stuff. I mean, there's sometimes where we have a big package and it's done weeks in advance and we're just waiting for it to hit the floor where there are things that do see those last minute changes. I mean, when we passed CJO, we knew at the time, like, I mean, they tried, they moved it every month, we May, June, July, August, that we were in session. And finally, when September came, it was completely a package deal that no more changes, even a couple weeks before. So, you know, that was really nice. And like I said, it can be it can be super super boring, or it can be just something that is is a lot of work. I mean, I'm predicting a little bit of a boring veto session for us, and that wing duck is is going to be the hotter one. But we'll see if they may cancel certain veto session days. But I think it'll be really interesting. Well, I hope your holiday doesn't get ruined. Me too. Are there any questions that I don't know to ask because I'm not involved in these things? Can we cover what we're going to have to get ready for? And, you know, we're already getting ready for spring session. So, you know, we'll have a few things during the session. We'll be watching out if there's anything bad. You know, anytime you try to open up CJ, there's people who want stuff. But, yeah, we're already prepping for what we're going to do next year. Okay. And IEC is on all of the social media platforms. Yep. So IEC is at IELMIRO on Twitter and Instagram and the Illinois Environmental Council on Facebook. So you can follow any of your work here. We have pretty up-to-date things that, that we post on our social media and then our website, ilmviro.org. You can join our email list. And you have a YouTube. Oh, yeah, we have a YouTube. And it's great because over the pandemic, we did a ton, a ton of lunch and learns. In fact, when the pandemic first hit, I think we... Did six or seven weeks of lunch and learns where we did a Zoom every single day, and you know that it took a lot to pull off. But like everything got canceled, so we were like, "Let's focus on this thing." And it was really a great time to bring our community together. And so that all of those videos are up online, and I'm always surprised by what people want to watch. There's this one on Spring and Thermal Wildflowers that has more views than anything else, for example. <laughs> But you can just check out any topic that you might want to watch. We've got 32 minute webinars on the website. Amazing. Okay. And if people or organizations want to join, how do they do that? Just go to the website? Yep. ILMViro.org. And there's some information on becoming an affiliate member. Or donating. Or donating. Yes. This is such a great organization. Thank you. Definitely encourage people to donate. And... For everyone who hasn't figured this out or doesn't already know, Jen Walling is a rock star. So definitely let's support her work and the work of people at IEC. Okay, well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Just one more time. That's www.ilenviro.org to get to the Illinois Environmental Council. Just go ahead and check out their website. Hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it and you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you get the next episode as soon as it's released. And as always, thanks for listening.